Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, what is the ultimate elk hunting rifle? For that matter, what is the best cartridge for hunting moose? I don't know, because this is a Ron Spomer Outdoors podcast question and answer and they haven't given me any questions for me to answer yet maybe those will be on there i don't know so i've got a stack of them here let's just see how many we can get through ron i am new to elk hunting western hunting for that matter any tips or tricks that an eastern boy may need to know before headed oh say to colorado for an over-the-counter Rifle hunt. Oh, yeah, I was pretty close on that <laughs> elk guess there. Yeah, yeah my, my best tip for elk hunting in Colorado over the counter is to do your research before you go. And my second best tip is to adopt the right attitude. In fact, I might flip those two. The attitude is probably your most important. Now, why do I say that? I think most people would think, well, Ron's going to tell us what unit to pick or how to find a big bull or call him in or use a cow call or something. But no, really, when you're hunting in a new area, you really can't expect to walk right in and shoot a good animal or even a bad one. You just have to see it as sort of an extended adventure scouting mission. You really need to appreciate hunting for what it is in total, not just getting your animal. So many people are disappointed because they adopt this attitude of, by golly, I spent $500 or $1,000 on a license and all this time I took off from work for vacation and all the other paraphernalia I had to buy for this hunt. By golly, I got to get one. <laughs> and believe me, I've been there, done that. And of course, it is always our goal to, to get that meat, but it doesn't always happen. So if you can adjust your attitude ahead of time to say, I am really going to enjoy this adventure, the camping out, the looking for the best place to, to, to hunt, meeting new folks along the trail, perhaps, or you stop at a diner and you mention your elk hunting and some local boy jumps up and tells you right where to go to get the big one, man, that happens. So you've got to be open for anything and everything. So do your planning. That is important. Get on 
some of the like hunt stand, the phone apps where you can look at the territory you might want to hunt. Go to the website for the Colorado or whatever state you're hunting and see what they have to say about elk numbers and the harvest regimen, how many bulls per cow in the unit, all that background information that can help you choose where you're going to hunt. Also check out weather, not just weather forecasts, but typical weather for that time of year. There's a lot of people have been snowed in when they're elk hunting in Colorado. You've got a lot of work ahead of you, but that's a big part of the hunt too. Enjoy all of that. The whole experience is just one that I can remember my first trip out west. It was in 1976 with my brother and a good friend of ours. And we plotted and planned all summer. We got in shape. We got our rifles tuned up. I bought a new 270 just for the hunt. Worked up the loads for it. All that anticipation was probably the best part of the hunt because I didn't even get an elk. <laughs> but, oh, my gosh, what memories we have of those good old days. So, hey, here's wishing you a lot of luck with that great attitude. I think you'll have it. All right, good question. All right, this is a, a Mats or a Mats from Sweden. Hello, Ron. Mats here. Can you talk about the Mauser 8x57? Many of us use this cartridge for hunting moose, boar, and bear in Sweden. Thanks for a great show. I think I answered this question or one a lot like it here recently on one of these podcasts. It was about an 8x57, and I get a lot of questions about it. It's a really popular European cartridge. It's German. And the Germans started using this as far back as, I believe, 1888 in the Gewehr or Gewehr military rifle. That was their official military cartridge. And it was used all the way through World War II. Um, ben, obviously, it was pretty successful in warfare. But what do hunters use it for? Pretty much anything you would use a 308 Winchester or 30 6 for. In fact, a lot of U.S. soldiers came back from the wars with souvenir rifles that they'd captured, and they had them rechambered to 30 out 6 but opened it up to take an 8mm bullet. So it was 8mm out 6 And this is what I covered, I think, in the last time I answered this question. But yeah, it's a great little cartridge. Just figure if you know anything about the 308 Winchester, you're going to get similar performance in your ballistics and your trajectory and whatnot. But the 8x57, of course, is an 8mm, and it's a little bit hazy <laughs> as to what exactly an 8mm is because the first 857 German cartridge took a diameter 0.318-inch bullet, and then they later changed it to take a 0.323-inch diameter bullet. So there's a lot of confusion about that, and you've got to make sure you've got the right ammo for the right chamber and the right barrel. These days, I think they were pretty much standardized on the 0.323, so that's what your ammunition is going to be these days. But uh, as far as a hunting cartridge, nothing wrong with it. Great little option. Okay, here is one from Chad Lemons. Comparisons for what car calibers I use here in Alaska, 416 Ruger, 375 Ruger. Comparisons, he probably is wondering about trajectory comparisons as well as terminal performance, most likely. Now, obviously, the 416 Ruger is a larger caliber. It's 0.416 on the bullet diameter, and the 375 Ruger is 0.375. And uh, I have used the 375 Ruger Compact, a great little efficient cartridge, 30-06 length, but it generates the same or even a little bit higher velocities than the 375 H&H &H pushing the same bullets. So it's quite efficient. And... If you know anything about the 375 H&H, &H, it pretty much tells you what you need to know about the 375 Ruger. 
because it is just a great all-round, what most people would consider an all-around the world effective for everything cartridge. Not too big, not too small. Qualifies, I imagine, in any uh, country that mandates a 375 H&H level cartridge for uh, dangerous game hunting, it would qualify. And the recoil on it is not too bad. You're going to be shooting 250 to maybe 300 grain bullets in it, and it should be pretty darn effective. I tried to take a moose with it up in Alaska and uh, didn't get the chance. The moose didn't want to cooperate by showing himself. <laughs> but boy, it was a sweet shooting rifle. It was a Mossberg Patriot, and I was a little bit leery of the recoil at first, but I shot it a bunch, and it wasn't bad at all. So I was hitting probably with an inch and a quarter would be my groups on that with some factory loads. I forgot what they were, but good little option there, and it keeps your actions fairly short. It's not your full-length 375 H&H Magnum action at 3.6 inches. It's the 30-06 length cartridge size, so you can use a standard length action. And the 416 Ruger, I have not played around with, but I imagine that's the 375 case necked up to take the bigger bullet. So you're going to be pushing your bullets a little more slowly, but you're going to have more weight behind them. You're probably looking at a 400-grain bullet in that one. And that's probably what you would want for some close-range encounters with something bigger than you, <laughs> like a bear. And I think you don't want to be using it for any kind of long-range hunting and shooting. Uh, you want to get in fairly close with that. But then that's generally what bear hunters want anyway to maximize the energy on target. And, of course, with that larger diameter bullet, of course, you're going to be making a big bigger hole on the way in. Whether or not it makes much difference once the bullet starts expanding, if you've got your weights up there and your velocities pretty equal, I don't know if there's a huge advantage in having a little bit wider bullet, but boy, it's a lot of folks like a 416 or even wider bullet for stopping bears up in Alaska. Hope that answered some of the things you were wondering about. Dwayne. Dwayne asks, can you speak on the six millimeter ARC cartridge. Yeah. <laughs> Not with authority. I did a blog on this and I did my research before I wrote the blog. And I remember sort of disrespecting, shall we say, this six millimeter ARC because I find that it is another one of these cartridges that is created to make up for the inherent shortcomings of the AR-15 style action, the length. I, I'm sorry, I don't want to offend the AR guys who just absolutely love that style of rifle and platform, but it has its limitations because of the magazine length. It can only handle cartridges no longer than the maximum length of a 223 Remington. That's what it was designed around, it's optimized around. But the 223 Remington is not what anyone would call a big horsepower cartridge of any kind. You know, it's suitable for coyotes, and a lot of people will take deer with it, but it's one of those fringies. And so what the AR people are looking for is more punch out of that platform. They love the rifle. So what can they get for a bullet and a cartridge to perform better? And obviously they've made all kinds of them and they're all less than what's available in bold actions. <laughs> and people will criticize me and say, you old fuddy dud, all you ever think about are bold action rifles. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. I do. <laughs> they're not the only ones, but when you grow up in an era in which you're developing cartridges to maximize their potential in the rifles of that era, so we're talking pump actions, lever actions, bolt actions, single shots, pretty much anything but an AR platform, you're working with rifle actions and magazine links that are, at worst, 308 Winchester length. So you're thinking all of the 308 family of cartridges, the 260, the 
seven millimeter 08, the 358 Winchester, the 338 Federal now, the 243. You got everything from varmint cartridges up to big, big game cartridges in that short profile. Uh, or you go to the 30 out six length, and obviously you've got all kinds of them there. And then we start getting these developments of little things like six millimeter ARCs that are so much weaker that you wonder, well, what's the point? But this is the point. They provide some pretty impressive performance in a really short, efficient cartridge. I don't remember the exact numbers, but when I looked at them hard, they were really surprisingly effective for such a short little cartridge. Just remember, this is the same length as a 223 Remington. And I forgot what that exact length is, but it's two inches, about 2.035 or something. It's pretty short. And here they're driving a 100 grain bullet, 85 grain, 75, whatever you're loading in a six millimeter. Uh, so it's going to be slower than a 243. But by using those high, sleek, long, high BC bullets in it, even though they're not going all that fast when they leave the muzzle, they hold on to that velocity because they're not wasting it, pushing a lot of air out of the way. So they will su fly surprisingly far before they drop too much. And they're surprisingly effective at resisting air drag because of the BC of the bullet. And of course, there's almost no recoil, so people can shoot them extremely accurately. I shot the 6.5 um, Creedmoor a lot, and then I shot uh, the 6.5 Grendel, which is a short, short one based on the 220 Russian, I believe, um, or the PPC cartridges. And I thought that was kind of silly, but by golly, if that thing didn't reach out there pretty effectively to 250, maybe even 300 yards, and I think this six millimeter ARC will do even better. So if you are looking for something really well-balanced and effective and efficient in an AR-15, I think the six millimeter ARC is definitely worth looking at. Read my blog and then you can tell me what I got wrong on that one. <laughs> that was my initial response to it. This is from Wilfred. I know that the AR did not originally design an AR-15 for the military. How different was the AR-15 from what we have today? Oh, man. You're going back to Armalite. That's what the AR stands for. Armalite Company back in the 50s. I think they even started it in the late 40s. It was right after World War II when they started looking for a replacement rifle for the military. And the military set standards. You know, The rifle must weigh so much or be so long and be fairly efficient in some way or another and durable, be able to go through the mud and the blood and the beard and keep working and all these kinds of things. But it has to deliver a projectile downrange a certain distance, I think it was 600 yards, um, and still be able to penetrate a steel helmet that the infantry was wearing back in those days or something like that. Deliver so many foot-pounds of energy at that distance, whatever. So they set about different people designing rifles. And I don't know if Armalite was, I don't think they were a part of the military at all. They were an independent company, but they were working on this as a contract, or maybe it was a, a bid. You design it and then they buy it. I'm not exactly sure how it worked. I'll bet you some of you folks will know that. Uh, you can write in and let us know. But essentially what they did then was they tried to develop this uh, project and they started with a 222 Remington. Um, didn't quite work. They went to the 22 Remington Magnum, which is a longer version, but that somehow didn't quite make it either. And what they ended up with with the 223 Remington, what we now know as a 223 Remington, was kind of in between those two. A little shorter than the Rem Mag, a little longer than 222 Remington, 
And obviously it does what it does, which is not all that spectacular because it's just a little 22 varmint round. Oh, we call the 223 Remington. The military, of course, is the 5.56 NATO cartridge, widely adopted by all the NATO countries. And it has been, uh, they, they complain about it a lot in the military just because it's so light. You know, it's got wounding potential, but not knockout potential in most cases. It's just not big enough. So they've always been tweaking it and working up new loads. And that's why we were discussing the six millimeter ARC earlier. It's an attempt to get more power on target with that particular rifle. Now, the Armalite 15 rifle, which became the M16, that was fully automatic. You could throw a switch on it and go from bang, 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 bang when you pull the trigger, semi-auto, to fully auto. Um, that's not the AR-15. This is what a lot of people get confused. They, the, the M16 is not the same as the AR-15 because the AR-15 is just a semi-automatic. And the function is quite different from some blowback styles, like think your 1022 Ruger, where the uh, gas is escaping, push the bolt back and recycle another round. This has a gas hose or a line coming up through a small hole in the top of the barrel, and it goes back to push on the action to drive the bolt carrier back and cycle the action and everything. And uh, it's just a whole different program. But it's obviously for all the what appears to be a fairly complicated rifle, it's modular. You can break it down fairly easily and to clean it and maintain it. And then you can change the barrels out to work with different uh, size cartridges, all the way up to a 458 SOCOM, I believe. With a, what was the Bushmaster 458? I think it was that's what it was called, a 458 Bushmaster. That's a pretty darn big cartridge. And uh, Remington had the 300 Remington uh, for the AR-15, which is the great little 30. Uh, performed beautifully, but it just never really caught on. And then there's all kinds of other ones, but um, that's essentially what they're doing with the ARs. So I think I explained it fairly well, Wilford, but you military experts or your AR-15 fans out there who work with these a lot more than I do, please uh, write in, call in, and let us know what you think. Um, I missed on this one because, good Lord, there's just this this rifle platform is so popular that books have been written on it and plenty more will be, but it's a great modular system. So if you're looking for a rifle that you could use in a 223 or all the way up to a 458 shooting some really big, heavy bullets, it just has a lot of potential and you can keep the, the basic parts and just swap the barrels out on them. They call them uppers because there's more to it than just the barrel, but boy, it is versatile. Um, I don't like the confirmation of it. It just doesn't work for me. I don't like the magazines hanging out the bottom of my rifles. I like things flush and trim. I do a lot of uh, walking and hiking when I hunt, and I like my weight to be light, my rifles to be trim and slim, just like my uh, women. No, <laughs> I only have one of those. <laughs> She's light and trim. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's, uh, I'm, getting the, I'm getting the throat system right back there. I don't know if it's meaning I'm out of time here, or if I'm going to get killed after I'm done with this episode. <laughs> but that's it for today, folks. Uh, we're going to do some more of these questions. I won't read them. I'll just, I won't cheat. I'll wait until the next episode, and we'll get the rest of those questions. Until next time, this is Ron Spomer. Please uh, subscribe to the channel. Give us a thumbs up if you can. And uh, join us on Ron Spomer Outdoors, where we cover ballistics and guns and shooting and all the other fun stuff. And go to the website and check out some of these articles I referenced. It's ronspomeroutdoors.com. And on there, you can subscribe to the RSO TV channel for even more videos. Hey, thanks. Unhonest and shoot straight.